are listening to The Magic Number on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Paul Ster. You just heard She and Him with the song Turn to White. Before that, Ariel Pink's Cemetery Suite. And he really never disappoints with how strange he can be. So that's always a treat. Before that, Young People, Your Grave kind of a theme there Islands Hush Tones that's off of their new record Puffy Amiyumi True Asia The Pastels Check My Heart Jazz Mountain Salad of Flies and Chrome Sparks Send the Pain On up next I'm going to play Hollow Paw with the song Lazy Matador if you have a request I'm only going to be with you for another 28 minutes before Living Writers. So if you have a request, now is one of your last chances. The number here is 734-763-3500. That's 734-763-3500. Up next is some more music. More music. Hips, the dizzy, the floor, under bare feet. 
I'm barely there, but heavy, heavy, shallow Us, the least thalus, where hawks tore the chap puking. Unwell in his abominable regions, Yuka. Night. Night. Mona, my true love, Yuk. Mona, my own love, Ook. Hark! Shut your obstropolis. Fap! Fap! Blaze on! There There she goes! Come one, come all to the album release show of the Ulysses Project, presented by WCBN at the Carytown Concert House on 415 North. 4th Avenue in Ann Arbor, 8 p.m. Saturday, October 5th. The Ulysses Project is a 10-piece suite based on James Joyce's novel Ulysses that incorporates elements from free jazz, rock, folk, funk, taze, and more. Come on, you wine-fizzling, gin-sizzling, booze-guzzling existences! Come on, you doggone, bull-necked, beetle 
flushers. False alarms. alarms and excess baggage. Come on, you triple exactly for me, the almighty God. Flap! Not half. He's got a cough mixture with punch in it for you, my friend, in his back pocket. Just you try it on.
And remember, next Friday is Hawaiian Shirt Day. So, you know, if you want to, go ahead and uh, wear a Hawaiian shirt and jeans. You're listening to Of Montreal, the Tulip Peru. Before that... Oh, oh, I, oh, oh. Shizuko Ring Ning. Chad Van Galen with the song Kill Me in My Sleep. Hello, Pa, the Lazy Matador. He and him turned to white. I think that was the last thing. That was the last thing that I announced. Up next at 4.30 is Living Writers, so stay tuned for that. And this is the last thing I'm going to play. Thanks for listening.
Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and I'm really happy to have Peter Orner here in the studio with me. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, T. <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks for picking the songs today, Peter, too, by the way. You're welcome. Um, we're here. We've got your books, Last Car Over the Sagamore Bridge, um, just out this year with Little Brown. We've got Esther Stories, um, a reissue with a new foreword by Marilyn Robinson, also just out. We've got Love and Shame and Love, also your novel on the table. Um, any any other ones over there in your pile, Peter? Uh, that's it for what I have here. But I yeah, think that's, a, that's, yeah. A, that's, a, that's a lot. That's <laughs> There's a lot. another novel about Namibia called The Second Coming of Marvel Chicago, but I don't have it with me. Which is such so, a great title. Thank you. And, um, so before further, without further ado, I'll read the back of um, your your book jacket. With your short bio, okay? Peter Orner is the author of Esther Stories, The Second Coming of Mavala, Chicago, and Love and Shame and Love. His fiction and nonfiction have appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Paris Review, Granta, McSweeney's, and other periodicals, as well as the best American short stories and the best American non-required reading. Orner has received the Rome Prize from the American Academy of Arts and Letters, the Goldberg Prize for Jewish Fiction, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and two Pushcart Prizes. He is a professor at San Francisco State University and lives in Bolinas, California. And you can go to peterorner.net to find out more. Lots more. Right, Peter? <laughs> a little bit more, yeah. Thanks. I haven't been on the website in a long time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here Thank today. You. You're, you're in town um, with the Zell Visiting Writers Series. Right. And... Um, You'll have done a reading, talked with students, given a craft talk. Um, I'm so glad to have you on the program because I've got to say that um, your book, Last Car Over the Sagamore Bridge, is my new favorite book. So um, thanks for writing it. Thank you um, so much and, for that. Uh, and, and so let's, let's, um, let's fill in some of your biography, your sure. writer's biography. Um, so you were you were um, you started off in Chicago. Mm -hmm. That's where your your roots are from, Highland Park. Highland Park, and, yeah. Um, yeah. And so when you did you know you were going to be a writer because you come from a family of lawyers, right? And and politics has been important. The the Democrats and <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> uh, so when did you sort of figure out this writing thing was for you? Uh, I think. I've always done it. I mean, since I can remember, um, I've always made up stories. It was literally, I think, the only thing that, that I could do. Um, I don't know if I did it well. I still don't know. But I, but I, it's, it's what I did. You know, in like sixth grade, fifth grade, I would make stuff up. Um, so I've always been, you know, I'm a fiction writer, so I'm a liar, which uh, I do that by profession. Um, so I think I've always been good at that. Um, to be honest, and I think that I think it stemmed from there, and I, and I learned a great deal here. I was here as an undergrad, and uh, 
took classes and, and actually realized that you could lie as part of your education. <laughs> now, <laughs> and, uh, which classes? Because uh, we might have some students listening and uh, yeah, need to plan their uh, coming I, I took terms. a lot of, I was an English major and I, t- I took creative writing classes. And uh, I think at that time it was one of the early days of um, being a creative writing major. And uh, I actually make fun of this in uh, my novel. Uh, he's a creative writing major, and nobody knows what th- that means, really. <laughs> and so, because it was kind of early for that. And uh, but it was great. I was having. I loved it. I mean, it was. Uh, it was incredibly. Um, I, I the opportunity to 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 write at that age. As my as as part of my college education, it was a little and to scary. be recognized for it too as a serious endeavor. Yeah, like, I mean, I wasn't deal. doing any good stuff, but I, but I, <laughs> I mean, personally, but I, I like to, to actually have that be my academic. I mean, in hindsight, I kind of wish I took some math, to be honest, you know, and and some <laughs> Another science. Another good tip for yeah, folks so, listening so out there. Yeah, so please do take some math and science, and but I, I took a great deal of uh, of creative writing classes and English classes which but i in hindsight i wish i took more math science and literature at that time and well and then after undergrad then then you moved to washington dc is that true and you were a limo driver i was a limo driver yeah, yeah yeah wow where'd that <laughs> uh that's cool we have uh, our ways of living writers <laughs> right, right, my god uh i was a limo driver in dc for um like the the rnc the republican national committee what did your folks think of that uh they thought it was weird. They also thought like I could be a spy, you know, and <laughs> figure out what the Republicans were up to. Um, it was around the time of the first Gulf War, oh. and my job was to drive around the guy who was organizing the first Gulf War parade, and uh, which was like a big deal. You know, the first Gulf War we forget was yes. like this. You know, we kind of won sort of, and it was, was the first Bush. Yeah, and it was sort of a, a real you know, moment of patriotic celebration. It's almost weird in hindsight to think that Bush lost that election because of how high he was riding after that pretty limited engagement, which, yeah. which you know, he deserves some credit for. Yeah, because now we don't know the meaning of limited Yes, engagement. we don't do that anymore. And of course we, you know, that limited engagement ended. But anyway, I don't know. But anyways, I was a limo driver. So you were driving a, yeah. a limo. Yeah. It's a good at parallel parking. Yeah. Along I, the... I would take it out at night and with my friends and sort of like ride around DC. <laughs> One time I locked the keys in the car with the car running, oh. um, which was a problem. Uh, and it was late at night and I don't know, AAA wasn't working. It, and the secret I, it, like, service was It ran out of gas. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway. So then you went yeah. to to um, Nam- Namibia mm-hmm. to yeah. teach English yes. then. Yeah. And because you, you just sort of like, enough with politics. I'm going to do something sort of real. I suppose, Not yeah. Not that politics I, I, aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, well, I, um, yeah, I was very interested in um, Southern Africa. As I told a class today, I was um, when I was here as a student, I was the... Michigan Daily reporter whose beat was to cover the anti-apartheid movement oh, as a student here. And uh, that was during the divestment days of trying to get Michigan and other schools to divest their funds from Did South Nelson Africa. Mandela's daughter come through when you were a student here, like on a, a speaking tour to raise... Uh, not when awareness? I was here, but oh, okay. that may may have been later or before or... Yeah, mm. but, um, but, but he was 
released from prison while I was here, and I have this, still have the copy of the Ann Arbor News. Um, with your byline with, too, where you're telling the, that you wrote about the story. Uh, yeah, but I oh I didn't actually cover it. I had just have the headline oh, when Mandela was. I remember I bought it. You know, I, the Ann Arbor a paper right across the street from Frank's. Oh, I took oh, it out. The and Ann Arbor I, News, I held not the it. Daily. Right, not the oh, Daily. Okay, no, sorry. I actually didn't. <laughs> I think I maybe I was on a hiatus from the. I don't know what. I didn't write the story. It was somebody somebody a better reporter wrote that story uh, for the Daily. But I remember um, just I, I still have it. That's mm. why it's framed in my in my studies so i have that picture uh, yeah. yeah mandela released or something yeah such a great such a great yeah. moment um and well and thoughts for him now um yes so i know we're kind of doing a speed through of this sure. is your life <laughs> yeah. peter yeah. basically that's what it's starting to feel like right. to me um but I, I feel like at that time that was a transformative time for you being being um like teaching in africa because that's where some is is that did you find out something more about storytelling because you said you know since elementary school you've been writing stories and um was it informed in a different way while your time there or yes i i mean it was um it was a time i was pretty young and i was had no um experience teaching and no experience being anywhere really and i was um found myself in the middle of a, a desert teaching seventh grade to a class of 45 kids. Um, 45 kids? Yeah, there was a big class. And uh, um, seventh graders, like, it doesn't matter where you are, are complicated. <laughs> um, but one thing that made it even more complicated in that particular class was this, that I had kids that would be normally seventh graders here. Plus, I had guys who had fought in the liberation struggle against South Africa who were coming back to school. So they were in their 20s. And and so and they would be sitting in these small desks, these guys, and they were very eager to learn. They were great students, but it was like, you know, they were in a different place in their life than these other kids. So, you know, it was a great challenge for me as a total rookie teacher. Yeah, I don't know. How'd you figure it out? I, I don't know that I did. <laughs> you know, and I always say, as a lot of teachers, I learned much more from them than than uh, than they learned from me. But I actually had these guys help me teach. And one of the things I did was I was teaching history. Um, and the history books had not yet come from the Department of Education because Namibia had just become independent that year, the year before, and so the, the new history books had literally not been written. So I was charged with teaching history without a text to to people that were learning some of the stuff literally for the first time. And so what I did was I would talk to my colleagues, my Namibian colleagues, and say, like, all right, how would you teach this era in Namibian history? And then I would, like, interview, you know, I would talk to them, and then oh. I would go and teach it. But the students knew the history certainly better than I did. So it was, a, you know, it was, it was incredible for me to just um, experience this in real time, like watch them talk about their own history in real time. And it definitely informed the novel I was to write 12 years later um, over the course of those years because it has to do with a lot of Namibian history. So. And it also, it seems like it might have um, started this, because you also did work with oral histories later on mm -hmm. yeah. um, with Annie Holmes mm -hmm. or yeah. so. Uh -huh. And yeah. so this, so in a way, it, these were more informal and for your teaching. Sure, sure. <laughs> but also oral histories, literally. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been always been interested in sitting down and talking to people and listening to their stories. And I think that informs my fiction, definitely, and um, my nonfiction, too.
So that book you're talking about is a, a book of, about Zimbabwe, which is north of Namibia, and we did a, a book fairly recently about three years ago now that came out about Zimbabwe. So I'm interested very much in that region and as well. Yeah, how did, how did that come to be, Peter? Um, because I'd been interested in watching Namibia, living in Namibia and watching Zimbabwe um, decline from a place that really had a great deal of promise uh, and uh, to watch it, you know, basically disintegrate over the years was incredibly heartbreaking. And I was able to visit Zimbabwe in the early 90s. And um, what was amazing, I was in the mid 2000, 2006, 2007, 2008, when we were back there, um, to, to watch, to see the difference was heartbreaking. Um, but the book is really about how, what happened to this country that had so much promise. So, well, let's let's take a short break, and then when we come back, we'll start talking about your latest, the, um, the, your collection of short stories, "Last Car Over the Sagamore Bridge," just out with Little Brown. Um, you've got living writers today. Peter Orner is here. I'm T Hetzel. We've got Stephanie Engineering. We'll be right back. <laughs> And it's Easter time too And your gravity fails And negativity don't pull you through Don't put on any ass When you're down on Rue Morgue Avenue They've got some hunger women there and man they'll really make a mess out of you if you see Saint Annie tell her thanks a lot I cannot move and my fingers are Another shot, and my best friend, the doctor, won't even say what it is I've got. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm glad you tuned in. You've got living writers, and today Peter Orner is here. We've got his latest book, Last Car Over the Sagamore Bridge, here before us. Um, also, Esther's stories and his novel, Love and Shame and Love. Um, so, Peter, you, you picked the tunes here, and if um, people can actually read about some of these songs, what you feel about them, uh, you wrote a blog post, right? I did. Uh, a website called Large Hearted Boy does, uh, asks writers to kind of make a sort of a mixtape of some of the songs that have meant a lot to them in writing the book. And so in this new collection, um, they asked me to think about what songs I was listening to and what songs may have influenced the writing. And so um, we just heard Nina Simone covering Bob Dylan's Just Like Tom Thumbs Blues, which I think is the most gorgeous song and the most gorgeous rendition of that song that I can imagine. 
and I always tell people, you know, it's kind of morbid, but I, 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 I like the song played at my funeral. I mean, it's, it sounds, but I, I just love it. And I don't even know necessarily what Dylan's talking about in the song. <laughs> um, but, uh, being lost in Juarez at Easter time has always struck me as hitting home and I've never been in Juarez at Easter time. So I'm not sure why that is, but there's something about the loneliness of the song that gets to me. And I think, um, in terms of the stories in this book, um, some of them are quite lonely, and I think that was uh, getting at that through this song. You also heard the Pogues <laughs> that's earlier, right. That's right. right? And now also your 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 folks know your family knows which song like, they <laughs> right. can start. Right. They don't want to hear about it actually, but but anyway, <laughs> it is so. a bit grim. But right. yeah, we we started off with the Pogues. We we were gonna start with Purple Rain, right. but that's another story. And then right. maybe foreigners. Um, waiting, <laughs> waiting for a girl like you. I, I, thanks get for saying that. It, great Peter. foreigner single, <laughs> and uh, then you can't shake it out of your head. Yeah, uh, but, but then we we went with the Pogues, right? And the Pogues, uh, and they're sort of different eras of my life. So Purple Rain was like this enormous, you know. I mean, which for a lot of people, touchstone, and then the, a- anthemic. Oh, yeah, anthemic, Seriously. like the core. I mean, and the way it ends and doesn't, you know, he ends it nine times oh my god it's just uh but um uh sorry for hitting the table uh uh waiting for a girl like you which we didn't hear so we won't talk about but um which is just an incredibly annoying song but very much a good a big part of my high school and then the pogues um i'm a man you don't meet every day which is caitlin o'reardon singing um in a in a man you know a song that starts out oh my name is jack stewart and i'm a candy gun man uh, roving young fellow I've been. I just love that song. And I remember as a student here at Michigan, the the Daily once ran a ran a ran a uh, a poll or something where it was like the best five best songs ever and ever <laughs> like ever ever ever. And there were fu- there were three Pogue songs and two Van Morrison songs, and that was the entire poll. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that. And I you know I think they were I think the Daily was probably right. I think the three, the five best songs ever include three Pogue songs, and definitely I'm a Man You Don't Meet Every Day is one of them. And I saw the Pogues here in Ann Arbor. And uh, Do you remember where was, you saw them? Was it at the Blind Pig? or No, it was at a bigger venue on campus, and uh, um, Sean McGowan literally, after three songs, collapsed on the, in the middle of the stage and had to be pulled, dragged off, and that was it. That was a, but I was an usher that night <laughs> and uh i was so psyched were was, you part of the crew that helped him to no another i was just watching space? i mean i think no. the whole place watched in horror but it was not the best concert ever yeah anyway but so. maybe not not completely surprising no sadly. And, yeah. no no and it was yeah. i certainly remember it so. yeah yeah but well, that again played a role in some of the stories that i think about because there's certain eras of my life kind of kick in certain memories and and so that's kind of how i work and so these that's why these songs help and and in Last Car Over the Sagamore Bridge, it seems like there's these um, one-page italicized pieces that come, maybe walks straight out of your life, Peter. Is that fair to say? I know this is a book of fiction, mm-hmm. so now I feel weird saying <laughs> that. But some of the dates and the places seem to match up with you. But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, what do you want to say about No, it's, that? Been, it's been coming up a lot in, in reviews and things like that, and it's totally fine. Um, but, it's, but it's not true. No, I'm a fiction writer, in, especially in this, in, you know, I, and I write stories that sometimes go close to the bone of real life, but um, I don't, and I don't mind, you know, I think I don't mind people thinking that, 
but I, I, it's interesting to me why they, why people would, and you know, well, where, what, do you where, know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. So no, I, you're not I, why, the first why person do to we, be especially like also like this is not true. This yeah, is fiction. But it's not that I. It's it's just I, I think that it's a weird thing we're doing when we're reading. We're we want to believe, mm-hmm. and I, I I I think I as a fiction writer I. You know, I, I go in for the kill on that. <laughs> and I, mm. I, I, but I, why so then, I, you as the fiction writer, do you have Highland Park as the place and why the falls? I mean, cause no, I hear right, you and right. I actually, I'm completely on your side as a writer, like saying, it's not me. Right. These are, these are stories. Right. But then me as a questioner, right? The second yeah. asks you then if that's where you're working with, why then use the exact place where, <laughs> and it's a great, so. it's yeah. a great question. In and Iowa, what I, what I take from that is that real things. Peter, what right do you have to your own life? That's what I want to ask you. <laughs> and that's a good question. And I'm not sure I have any, actually. But it, 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 for me, it has to do with like, I like to get real close, but then make stuff up. And that to me is like, it's no more true than if I was writing about Mars. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. And of so, yes. you know, and, and so a lot of my fiction really does come from reality, but it's fiction. It's so, and I, I mean, I, but I am admittedly, I'm playing with this idea. Well, and they, I think then there's also an added layer of tension. There definitely is for you as maker. Yeah. And then it's probably present for audience as well without I, maybe, well, maybe knowing it, if they know a little bit of your biography, then that tension would be also. Yeah, I suppose. Up. I think, I think in terms of, you know, fiction, we're always suspending. We, we, I, we're, we believe a good story. It's weird. We, we know it isn't true, but we. If it's working on an emotional level, you believe it. Yeah. And that's what I'm after. I'm after that. Then you're catching it, or you've caught it. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. And, and I, you know, God knows, you know, you end up failing much of the time, but that's, that's what I'm after. I, I think with the, the, the story, when as soon as you start telling something, even if it's an oral history, then it becomes a story and it's through a particular person's lens. So even if it's the history, it's a story. Right. Well, and and, I mean, changed and by the teller, right? True. And, and, and some stuff is true and that's cool. I, I guess here is one example, one of those italicized sections. Uh, there was a, a log mansion in the town I grew up in, this strange hippie commune <laughs> in the middle of the suburbs in Chicago outside of Chicago and uh, it's one of the it was on Lake Michigan and it was incredible I mean, it was just like you know it was a, it was completely out of place it was a commune you know and uh, so that's real that's real and yet the story I wrote about it I built a moat in this commune <laughs> I built all kinds of you know like you know I took something that was already strange and 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 tried to make it even stranger and I think I often do that with real stuff like with the parade where the um is it oh this is a great story of yours i don't know if this one is the help me out here pamkin's lament oh, peter yes. yeah. so with the flying carpet <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Like, is that another moment that that there could have been a parade with this guy who was challenging Cheeky yeah, I mean, this, Al? This Hilarious. Is, this, this is totally uh, kind of what I do. Um, you know, this is a story about a guy who's running for governor of Illinois who has no chance of winning. And he's kind of hapless, but I love him for that. And you were talking about politics earlier. Um, I come from a family that was very political and also um, not always the most highly successful politicians, let's say. Um, and so I find... <laughs> sounds interesting. I find, and I find politicians that lose extremely fascinating. I, I, I find uh, the concession speeches that politicians give more interesting than the victor. You know, how you lose is fascinating as, to me. Mm. And uh, yeah. so in this case, which is totally made up story about a guy who's running for governor of Illinois and has no chance of winning. At one point, he's in a parade in the 4th of July and he gets run over by a, a, motori- a guy on a, mo- a shriner on a motorized flying carpet. Now, that never happened, but in the parades of my youth... I, do you, did you ever see this happen? I the, feel like they the were in small carpet? cars, though. Weren't the Shriners in small cars? I, or is have, that they, just they, a That strange... may have been your parade. In <laughs> our parade, they were, they were a, 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 it was a go-kart with an with a, with a oh, oriental like a carpet, oh. and they would sit on it and drive around. It was raising money for the Shriner hospitals or whatever. So I remembered that and then had my guy get run over. But that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, I just, that's, I mean, and all of the things I do, a lot of things I do have to do with something I remember and then twist it, manipulate it, or, you know, um, for, for entertainment value, which is what I'm trying to do. And empathy or, or something to take something, make your hearts kind of feel more for the character. Because this particular character, you know, as you said, is already, he's already losing the race. Yeah, and, he doesn't need to get run over by a shrine, and, but he does. And like, then you know, the sorry. newspaper headline then is like swept under the rug. Like, <laughs> right, so they even right. make a terrible pun out. Right, <laughs> right. Poor poor guy so i Um, I guess i take bad things and make them worse in in fiction i think that's kind of what i what i'm up to in a lot of cases and that really that really works with humor and pathos hope so i think um this book is also um lovely because it bucks some some of the norms of the the form like some of the pieces are uh, very like one page or Mm so um how did you envision that the the book would work like this or was it more something that just started happening and you saw how it fit together or I think I mean story collections are such weird monsters and uh, you know I really wanted the stories to be um, to speak to each other but at the same time be different very different so um, you know you go a lot of places here and uh, what I I think about it is that the structure started to build over the course of many years, and I started to realize that some of my preoccupations were um, echoing each other. So that you know, we talked about loneliness earlier. Usually, it's characters, and I think a lot of short stories have this, you know, impetus. It, there's a great Frank O'Connor book called *The Lonely Voice*, which is about short stories, and I've always it's always spoken to me. And I actually have a I have a column on the the Rumpus where I where it's called *The Lonely Voice*, and I talk about um, this isolated voice often and I, I certainly try and emulate that idea in my stories and so I started to realize that these were lonely voices you know in this book and that they may not know each other these characters and never will you know um, but they um, they are still speaking to each other and you know it's a big world and there's a lot of people out there that 
we'll never ever meet. And I think I like to think in a story collection, that's the one place they might be able to, or at least my characters, if not meet, echo each other, if that makes any sense. And somehow in some nearness, not that even though they're lonely voices, maybe not so alone somehow. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think that's what stories can do there. You know, they, they, um, they give voice to that aloneness, which I think, you know, by itself makes that aloneness less intense. Well, let's, let's take a short break and then we'll come back. And then Peter, do you mind reading from no, the book sure. for us? Okay. Happy to. Um, you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. You've got living writers today with Peter Orner. I'm T Hetzel. We'll be right back. day but now it's over we had our song now it's sung we had our stroll through summer's clover but summer's gone now our walking's done Tell me gently Who'll be your lover Who'll be your lover After I'm gone Will it be the moon That hears you sighing Will it be the willow That hears your lonesome song be the rain that clings to your bosom? Will it be the sunshine that dries your golden hair? Will it be the wind? Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Peter Orner is here um, with his book, Last Car Over the Sagamore Bridge. And it's got, it's Got so many stories in it. This is like, if you need some stories, Peter's got a story here <laughs> just for you. <laughs> and one of the stories uses a piece of the song. Um, is it is it Wind's Rain or is it? Uh, the, none uh, but the Rain. That song we just heard, Towns Van Zandt, who I, I, Towns Van Zandt can pretty much do no wrong as a songwriter. This probably isn't the best song he ever wrote, but for me, it's the saddest um, song. I mean, there's flute. I don't. You, I, how do you get away with having flute in a song? And he actually, I think he says the word bosom, which is I mean, how I, cheesy I think is that? we got to hear that. 